Hello, hello. Welcome to the second part of uh, of the Partial Historians and Totalus Rankium, looking at Augustus and Tiberius. Uh, yeah. I'm Rob. I'm Jamie. And I am Dr. Raj. And I'm Dr. G. Welcome, everyone. All right. So we gave Augustus quite a beating last time. <laughs> yes, we did. And that was really because my, my line is the best defense is a good offense, because I know I'm going to be in for it today because I like Tiberius. <laughs> I am interested. I am interested to hear how exactly you're going to defend Tiberius. <laughs> All right. Well, shall we? Uh, shall we start at the beginning? Yeah, gentlemen. So perhaps you could take us through his early life, uh, Robin Jamie. Um, well, uh... <laughs> sorry, uh, Jamie's very excited because he's decided to actually do some research this time. Oh. oh. <laughs> And um, by research, we mean Wikipedia. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this would be great. I'm looking forward to it. Go on, start us off with a fact, Jamie, and then so, we'll go from there. Yeah. Tiberius was born in Rome on the 16th of November, 42 BC, um, to Tiberius, Claudius, Nero, and Livia. Yeah, right. There we go. I'm, I'm impressed. Yeah. Do, you, do you feel happy? Fact. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I do. Yep, no, no debate there. <laughs> um. Yeah, uh, something we didn't really cover um, much when we did Tiberius's episode was his early childhood, and although there's not much on it, it is it's interesting. Uh, he he was born in, into a very dangerous situation. Um, it, he was born on the wrong side, <laughs> which is not where you want to be born. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, his dad very much was someone who, who did not choose the right team in the civil war. Um, and when Tiberius was born, uh, his father, Tiberius Claudius Nero, and Livia were both on the run. Uh, so he, he faced dangers immediately. Yeah, I think this must, have, this must have left some sort of impression, even though he would have been quite young when it happened. But yeah, run, being on the run for your life, and there's even a story that it, um, Tiberius almost gave away where they were hiding at one point by crying because he was, you know, a child. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, it must have been a bit stressful. <laughs> I think it's also the sort of thing where it's like this is a foreshadowing for his whole life. Um, his dad doesn't know how to pick the right team, and it's questionable that Tiberius knows how to pick the right team either. <laughs> I'm sorry, wasn't he on Augustus's team? <laughs> I'm talking about some of the later teams <laughs> uh, that he goes in- on to make. Uh, I take that as a burn on Augustus, and I accept it. <laughs> <laughs> there is the story, though, that Tiberius is almost uh, given away into the protection of the Spartans. Ooh, interesting. (laughs) But luckily, Augustus has a thing for heavily pregnant women. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I take that as a compliment, I think. (laughs) This this story of Augustus is is just a fascinating one, I think. Uh, You could. I think if you're being generous, you could make the argument for love at first sight. And uh, there was just a a spark between Livia and uh, Augustus. And uh, they couldn't deny their true feelings. Um, <laughs> I think there's a good case to be made for that. There's a, a, definitely a fan fiction. Yes. <laughs> Fifty Shades of Augustus. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like if I, I'm going to be the slightly more cynical person, in case you haven't noticed with Augustus. But yeah, I think it had something to do with the fact that he was interested in a woman who was fertile yeah. and had a pr- proven track record of having sons. So Tiberius, in a way, could be what brought Livia and Augustus together. I just want to say that um, for an episode where we're supposed to be talking about Tiberius, we're spending a lot of time talking about my man Augustus. That's because he's in his childhood. <laughs> just saying, is it because he doesn't have much of a life to talk about? Or... Uh, I don't think so. His life is a country song waiting to be written. <laughs> uh, anyway, so moving on, um, Livia and Augustus uh, hook up while she's pregnant with Tiberius's younger brother, Nero Drusus, or Drusus Nero, depending on how you like to call him. <laughs> And his father dies, I believe, when he's still actually quite young. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was uh, he was less than ten years old. He was nine years old. Oh, apparently. thank you, Jamie. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so nice coming to the rescue with the facts, Jamie. <laughs> uh, the, yeah. Um, at, at the age of nine, he delivered the eulogy for the, his biological father at the Rostra. Apparently. Yes. No. He he did. Oh yeah. Which yeah. is uh, a fairly common thing for uh, children in Rome, so we've got some evidence of other children doing this, but even then it must have been a daunting thing for a child to do, to have to stand up and speak. 
hugely yeah. daunting and and very much in keeping with a patrician position as well this coming into the public eye early even before yeah. assuming the toga of manhood um is considered quite significant yeah so he's thrust into the limelight at a young age <laughs> And then, then he's adopted by Augustus, and I can't help but feel that must have been really awkward, because uh, Augustus has his new wife, and now suddenly he's saddled with two stepchildren that he, he never bargained on. And he doesn't formally adopt them either, he just takes over the guardianship of them. So the, the formal adoption comes much later, but he's kind of like, I, I suppose for Tiberius this would be a confusing time, because all of a sudden... Uh, well, mum's been hanging around with this other guy for a while <laughs> and dad's dead. Um, and Augustus is like, so I guess I'm like your father now. <laughs> and it was also at a time where Augustus was gravely ill as well. He's getting ill and starting to think about his uh, his legacy and what's going to happen next, I believe. Oh, wait a minute. I need to do a different voice. <laughs> Tiberius, <laughs> I, think, I think you're my son now. <laughs> <laughs> that's, the, that's the ill Augustus voice. <laughs> Deathbed Augustus. <laughs> well, Augustus does start to put him forward because at this stage, Augustus and Livia have not managed to have any sons. Preview, they will never have any sons. <laughs> and so Augustus is promoting Tiberius along with his nephew, Marcellus. And so they actually get to ride in Augustus's uh, triumphal chariot in 29 BCE. And Tiberius gets the second place of honour after Marcellus. So, you know, he's, he's being put forward again at a young being age. Put forward in <clears throat> second place. Oh, that's because Augustus is a douche. <laughs> Which is really something he needs to start getting used to at a young age. <laughs> yeah. Yes. yes. It's a pattern. It's a pattern. <laughs> Yeah. And he starts his military career quite young as well. He becomes a military tribune in Spain in 26 to 25 BCE. Mm, how old is he then? He's born in 42. Oh, no. Impromptu math. Impromptu math. Terrible at mathematics. He's about, what, like 16? Mm. Yeah. So youngish, I think. 17. 17. You're going for 17, Jeremy. <laughs> That's what Wikipedia yeah. says, and I'm going with it. <laughs> 17. 17. Sorry. Yeah. 17. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Nope. He is 16, going on 17. <laughs> Baby, it's time to start. <laughs> he absolutely sang that song. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I guess uh, I, I'm interested at this point to sort of pause and talk a bit about his personality. Oh, yes. Yeah. What, you guys, I'd like your uh, your thoughts on his, on Tiberius's personality in, in sort of holistic terms. Well, at this age, it's, uh, I don't know, it's really hard to tell. I mean, I, I could project how I feel I would have felt in that mm-hmm. situation, and I can use what he does in later life to um, speculate. But it is hard to tell until, <clears throat> I'd say... Sorry, I'd say until he starts hitting uh, the roads time, to be honest, is only when I start to really feel like I'm getting a sense on him. Um, But I'm guessing this, maybe I'm projecting here, but I I think um, bitterness and frustration is, (laughs) I'm guessing what he's feeling at this time. (laughs) Yes, I must admit, I do have a theory that Tiberius's life is characterised by loss. I think this is a big, a big theme of his life. So in around 12 to 11 BCE, he is forced to divorce um, his, his, uh, his wife, Vipsania Agrippina, who is one of um, Augustus's best friend's daughters. And he seems to have been rather fond of her. And he's forced to remarry Julia, Augustus's only daughter, which apparently made him very upset. <laughs> yes. To the point where he wasn't allowed to see his ex-wife anymore because he just got too sad. <laughs> he seems to have this awkward thing as well where he doesn't like Julia even though he knows that Julia likes him and he's kind of awkwarded out by her pursuit, potentially. Well, Julia's pretty experienced. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, <laughs> the realms of Julia love. pursuing you didn't necessarily mean much, if we can believe the sources. No, no, that's all right. You joined a very large club. <laughs> There's a bit of scandal here as well. Apparently, Julia was uh, making advances towards Tiberius when he was happily married. 
previously as well. Yeah. Oh, two bips on, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Which mm-hmm. I take as a sign that Tiberius must have been hot stuff. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> but yeah, I mean, look, he, they do make a go of it for a while. They they do um, they do actually manage to get Julia pregnant. Augustus must have been thrilled. Um, she even gives birth to, I think, a baby boy. But unfortunately, as is the case with all the Julia Claudians, the males do not survive, <laughs> and yeah. and their relationship seems to be taking a turn for the worse after the death of their son. Yeah, it's quite a sad story, really, isn't it? Um, you just get the feeling Tiberius tried to give it a go after a while and then just gave up on, on the whole thing and and just refused to talk to Julia, refused to be almost in the same room as her. And yeah, the whole relationship definitely. just falls apart almost immediately, uh, which I... Maybe I'm being mean to Augustus here, but surely we've got to put the blame on Augustus here. He's he's the one making this happen. Yeah, I kind of feel like I, I know I can understand why he did it for dynastic reasons. No, oh, yeah, yeah. I, I I kind of feel like he must have had an inkling that their personalities would have been a disaster together. Tiberius <laughs> yes. is super serious and traditional. I do not get the sense that Julia was either of those things. Um, and I, I get that in the Roman world, personalities aren't really the prime thing you're looking to match, but still. I was going to say, this is politics first and foremost. And harsh, harsh. But, but marriage <laughs> at, at this level is politics. I mean, yeah. this is a patriarchal society. Julia, for all of her attempts to be rebellious and to own her own life, is a pawn in the part of Familius's game. And she shifted around as needs be, mm. um, which is not any different to how any of the women in patrician families are treated. And it's just that we happen to know more about this one. And I yeah. mean, sure, I feel sorry for Tiberius, but like, dude, you got to make your own life. You know, if you're going to be characterized <clears throat> by a loss and you're going to have a pity party and then <laughs> shuffle off the roads because you're a bit sad about everything and how it's gone when it's to be expected. I'm sorry. I'm I'm sorry, <laughs> but I I don't know how how I'm supposed to be empathetic right now. You had a go at Tiberius earlier when we were talking about how he was too dutiful. <laughs> him going to Rhodes is him being rebellious, man. It's telling Augustus to go and shove it, <laughs> which I think he would like. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think... That that paints Tiberius in too good a light, though. I'll be honest, because he he, he went on a four do, four day hunger strike before going to Rhodes, <laughs> which yeah. really takes the edge off that story in my mind. <laughs> I think it was just his way of getting Augustus's attention, because Augustus <laughs> always overlooked him. I'm never eating again. Wait a minute, I'm super hungry. I'm going to Rhodes. <laughs> I'm going to eat there, and you can almost accept that. As a story, until you remember, he's in his late 30s at this point, isn't he? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I have another sad story for you guys. (laughs) Okay. In 9 BC, his his brother Drusus dies suddenly um, whilst in Germany. And Tiberius is so sad that he accompanies the body back to Rome on foot to show his grief. Yeah. Well, you've missed the fact that he rushed up there to begin with. Uh, he did. he did exactly. He tried desperately to see him before. And if he we died. can believe Pliny, he uh, broke the land speed record whilst doing it because <laughs> he rushed up there so so quickly. I think his brother was someone very important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Didn't we work this out though that actually the speed going was actually quite slow? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, it but was like a gentle trot. <laughs> horses need to rest, <laughs> so it's yeah. fine. But yeah, he gets up there. His brother dies, and he's got to come back with him. And um, well, that's awkward. I mean, yeah, th- this is how putrefied is the body going to be by the time they get back to Rome? Mm. <laughs> Where is your sensitivity, Doctor G? Where is your sensitivity? <laughs> I'm just thinking about the practicality. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can understand why mentally he's now just wants to be away from everything. Is uh, the love of his life, if we can believe that has been taken from him. Um, he's been forced to marry someone he doesn't like, and now his brother's died. Um, I can understand why he just wants to get away. Yeah, and I think that also, I mean, as you say, it doesn't look great for a man in his 30s perhaps to be behaving this way. I have a but. <laughs> but um, Tiberius has been doing really good things militarily. He's been serving Augustus dutifully. 
doing everything that's asked of him, and yet he is always in the background. He's never Augustus's first choice. It's quite clear um, during this earlier period that Augustus is going to use Julia's children to be his, you know, heirs, whatever you want to call it at this point. Um, and Tiberius is not going to, he, he's always going to have a background role. Yeah. And again, I think this is part of his tragedy. I think Augustus I don't think this him. is tragic. <laughs> I think it's pretty clear that he deserves a background role. <gasps> and this, is, this is the guy who goes off and soaks on, like he soaks on the island. After back. being overlooked. After well, being overlooked. He's been but, acclaimed in Parata. Thank you very much. But I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm like, this is a guy who shouldn't be given a leadership position. He can't handle it. Things go wrong and he doesn't know what to do. He's like, oh. He does know what to do. He knows to tell Augustus to bugger off. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to live on an island with the Greeks Mm. Um, until he gets sick of that as well. And then he's like, I'd like to come home. Augustus (laughs) is like, no, you've got to stay. You chose this. I don't think so. Burnout. A classic case of burnout, if ever I saw one. (laughs) There there was a a nice little story from Suetonius right at the end of his accounts of how um, Augustus would pause halfway through um, speaking if Tiberius walked in the room, almost as if he was groaning that Tiberius had come along and just interrupted his great story. (laughs) And uh, for some reason that one stuck with me. I I can't help but feel that this is the time where that that story comes from. I agree. Augustus has just had enough of this slightly adolescent man. (laughs) And... uh, He's gone full on. <laughs> he has. He's he an has. emo. He's an emo. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also that thing that Tiberius comes from a very clear, strong patrician line. Um, the Claudii are hugely respected um, as a patrician family. And this is the thing that he has mm. to uphold. And yes, daddy's died. Um, so, but he's the eldest child. So part of his duty, I think, perhaps in his mind, is upholding his familial tradition in the face of what is clearly a very difficult political transition period. And Augustus is a rogue and he doesn't play by the rules. He makes different rules to suit his own thing. Yeah. Um, that's how we get into the Principate in the first place. And there's Tiberius coming from a really solid Republican patrician tradition and maybe being the party pooper walking into the room and being like well i don't know have you considered the legislation from 321 and augustus being like oh Um, thank you i actually think that's a compliment for tiberius (laughs) you know i'd I'd never really thought of him that way but yeah no i suppose that could be um he's just a stickler for the rules yeah well he, he, he i think this is the thing i think tiberius i mean being born in 42 BCE, I mean, he, he is born under the Republic still, um, you know, admittedly in its death throes. Um, and I think he I think he does. I think he is portrayed as upholding these traditional Republican values as best he can. Mm. I mean, it's kind of typical for the, for the sources to try and paint people according to the characteristics that have defined their families. And the Claudians are well known for being one of two three things, really. One of them is like a raving supporter of the plebs, which Tiberius is not. <laughs> the other is being like ultra patrician. And that is what Tiberius definitely is. Yeah. I mean, you do, you do get a sense once he's on roads to begin with, he almost tries to um, live that part, like just on the mm. island. Um, he, he, yeah. he becomes the... The patrician he's supposed to be now he's out of Rome and he doesn't need to worry about all of the politics anymore um yeah you get, you get the sense like from Suetonius that he's living quite sort of modestly you know that he's trying to sort of blend in not not like to the ordinary people but no, he's, no. he's living a fairly unassuming life there's one story that we didn't cover in our original um podcast on him which uh, I came across and I loved um which was when he was on roads to begin with, he wanted to meet all the sick on the island. Uh, yes. Just to make, make a good impression. Uh, but he was misunderstood. And some <laughs> well-meaning um, slave or servant or whoever uh, arranged for all of the sick on the island to just be paraded in front of him. Oh. <laughs> and he had, he had to go out and apologise to them all. It's, I'm so sorry you've been dragged out of your beds. <laughs> well... 
I, I actually, I'm actually really glad you brought up that story because I think this kind of highlights the issue with Tiberius. And there is an issue, I'll admit it, <laughs> and it has nothing to do with babies or underground, you know, yeah. lairs or anything oh, like that. We'll get we'll, to that. We'll get to that. But I think his major issue throughout his entire life is his inability to communicate very clearly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just a small issue for somebody who's going to be in charge of a whole empire. Well, he didn't know he was going to be in charge of the empire. I mean, Augustus made it fairly clear he wasn't for most of his reign. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I do like the detail that even when the will is read out, eventually after Augustus has died, he's like, well, in in the face of the sad loss of, of Lucius and Gaius, uh, Tiberius is taking everything. Yeah, nice. <laughs> such a backhanded. <laughs> but I suppose this man will do. Yeah, I, I mean, it's a, the tragic loss of those two, really. Um, but so I guess, well, this guy will do. Well, see, this is, okay, this is exactly my point. Now, you can obviously take this as you will, but I'm just going to set it up how I see it. <laughs> um, I think that, so... By the end of Augustus's reign, he gradually loses, you know, all his other male heirs that are, you know, a remote possibility and he's getting older. So he ends up, you know, Tiberius ends up coming back from Rhodes. He ends up adopting Tiberius and making Tiberius adopt Germanicus in, you know, in the same blow, obviously with an aim to keeping the Julian bloodline in the line of succession eventually. Um, but I think, and, and he, he and Augustus and Tiberius must have worked fairly closely together in that last decade or so of Augustus's reign once this had happened. And Augustus sets him up with all the necessary powers so that by the time Augustus is dead, Tiberius technically has all the package that, you know, that he needs. Um, and it's quite clear that he is the one. But classic case of misunderstanding and Tiberius not being very clear he obviously, I think, wanted the Senate to be very vocal in picking him, in choosing him, in making it clear that he was the one that they were happy with and the one that they wanted. And the Senate are waiting for him to make the first move. <laughs> and again, it's just classic Tiberius. I mean, it's, it's almost, yeah. His like fatal a floor is wanting to be loved. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I do agree with the communication. Um, I, he, he, he doesn't handle it well, well as soon as becomes emperor no. uh, but to go back no. to something you just said um how you you say you think it's clear augustus by the end does want tiberius to take over i i get more the sense that he he's resigned to tiberius being a placeholder until germanicus can come along yes no i agree i mean that's 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 kind of what i mean i think he knows that tiberius yes. what, what that's yes. not a, that's not to augustus's credit <laughs> I, I feel like this is, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a slide against Tiberius to be like, well, you're a placeholder, buddy. Yeah, the, the ruthless dictator that was Augustus doesn't think you're a like, fantastic guy. <laughs> and, does, and does Tiberius rise to that challenge? No, he I, does not. I, I think he does, actually, because he makes sure that this system that Augustus has worked on for decades you know, comes through. I mean, it's a little awkward, obviously, with the, you know, the Senate at first, but he makes sure, like, by, by Tiberius actually even coming to power as emperor, that solidifies Augustus's dream, that makes this a dynasty. It does. Yeah, yeah. And so Tiberius has to be given credit for the fact that, okay, it's not seamless, but he, he gets it done. And it, and it stands. Like, if, if it hadn't been for someone as solid as Tiberius with as much military and political experience as he has, it could have been a disaster. It, and was, it was a pretty big disaster. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I'm sorry, did he not thirty-seven? Does the empire not continue? The empire Case continues. And then, we, <laughs> and then we get Caligula. <laughs> yeah, okay. And did Augustus have wanted Caligula because he was part of the Julian dynasty? This doesn't mean it's a good thing what happens. Uh, I don't we, think you can. There is, a, there is a lot of death. That you can't pin all of Caligula's failings on Tiberius. There's a sex you just dungeon can't. in here. No, no, no. There's a man who, it is claimed, has a small child as yet unweaned attend to his private parts. That's foul. Gossip. Unproven gossip, if ever I've heard any. Rob, Jamie, I'd like to hear your opinion on the sex dungeon. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, well, we're jumping ahead slightly here, aren't we? Um, we are, we since, are, we are, sorry. Since we're uh, on sex onions. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I'm, it, it just, especially in Suetonius, where we get most of this stuff, it, it almost turns mm. into a 
and another thing rant where you just start mm. thinking oh, how much is this true i mean obviously the the people didn't like him towards the end i think that's fairly safe to say uh, i can see that <laughs> yeah. um so here's here's an emperor who pales in comparison to the last one he's he's not putting on games he's not doing any of the fun stuff that emperors are supposed to do or he's at least close isn't he yeah exactly he's gone and hidden on an island somewhere and who knows what he's up to over there well i've heard this what have you heard and yes, yes it does all seem um rumor um in a way that caligula doesn't <laughs> yeah <laughs> for some reason the stuff about caligula's a bit more believable yeah. whereas um it's it's Harder to believe all the uh, accusations against Tiberius. Well, this is the thing. I mean, for the listeners, we're talking about the period of, of Tiberius's life right towards the end. He's been living on Capri, uh, away from Rome for a number of years, and he apparently starts, you know, getting up to all sorts of sexual things. But I have to ask you, Dr. G, Tacitus is no fan of Tiberius. I think that's pretty apparent. Don't you think he would have thrown this in Tiberius's face if it was true? The fact that Tacitus doesn't talk about this and Suetonius is the one that does just makes me think it's the it's he's trying to paint Tiberius into a corner. Oh, he's a tyrant, then he must be doing all of these things. It's a stock characterization. It's it's like writing for a soapy. He's making him the ultimate bad guy, but giving him all the characteristics of a bad guy. And that includes being sexually deviant. I think the trouble with this sort of moment um, in the source material is that Tiberius goes to a couple of different islands on a couple of different occasions and they get characterised in very different ways. Mm. And that's a very interesting narrative uh, challenge, I think, for somebody who's either considers themselves a historian or a biographer um, in the ancient world. What do you do with these trips to islands um, which go on for years um, and which seemingly mean that you're not taking up responsibilities that maybe you ought either in a familial sense or in an imperial sense which is maybe worse and I think the criticism that's coming through about Capri is really related to um, a sense of he's he's not doing his job he's the emperor he needs to be in Rome Mm. um, whether he likes it or not and to take it back in in the sort of um, the time period uh, we're getting to that point where he's just coming into the imperial position and he does try to build a consensus politics which it seems like the senate's not quite ready for um and not used to and i give him credit for for trying to build something like that but it doesn't really seem to work out do you do you think he wants to be emperor no because i never really get the sense that he ever wanted this (laughs) no i i honestly think that um again i mean it ends up i suppose being to his detriment but i i kind of like to give him credit for it I think that Tiberius, being a very traditional Roman in a lot of ways, I think he has a really deep sense of duty and loyalty. And I think he feels obliged to take that position. And, and he is really the best candidate for the job within the imperial family at that stage. He, he does have more mm. experience than anyone else. Um, and, and he has been working closely with Augustus. He's been part of Augustus's like circle of advisors and, um, you know, and he's known Augustus for a really long time. I think he is the best choice. And I think he feels like he has to come through. And this is this is what I mean by going back to this idea of loss, not in not just in the sense of emotional loss, but I really think that in those first few years, Tiberius was setting Germanicus and Drusus up in the way that Augustus had set him up. Um, he was, you know, he was making all the same sorts of moves, giving them the same sorts of positions, giving them the same the, the same sorts of experiences that Augustus had given him that were considered to be obviously sort of training for the job. Mm. And I think the fact that Germanicus and then Drusus die kind of shoots his chances of, you know, just stepping down and retiring in the foot. And he's obliged to therefore, you know, sort of keep on going because, Agrippina's sons, whilst they might be viable heirs, are too young to cede power to at this point. On top of which, let's face it, he and Agrippina don't get along. (laughs) (laughs) So I kind of see that as being also part of his tragedy in that I I actually think that Tiberius would have stepped down. I suppose we'll be getting into Germanicus in just a moment. So, uh, But you're, you're, you're saying that he wanted Germanicus to take over? 
I know that he and Germanicus don't <laughs> always get along. <laughs> They're very different personalities. But I think that the division between them has been exaggerated a little bit. I right. think that at the end of the day, Tiberius saw Germanicus as his way out. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and if not him, then Drusus. Like there were two of them who were around the same age. They were getting similar experiences and similar promotions. Um, you know, he clearly had the air and the spare situation going on there. Um, and, and again, I think that I think that Tiberius was very dutiful. He knew that Augustus wanted to, to Germanicus to take over. And I think he always had that in the back of his mind. I, I think he probably almost saw himself as a bit as a, a placeholder. It's a bit unfortunate that Germanicus dies and then Tiberius seems to be implicated. In yeah, well, he, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, for, I don't think that's been settled by history, really. <laughs> for Jamie's benefit, um, because you may have forgotten, Jamie, this is the Germanicus hashtag bring back Germanicus. Yes. Yeah, yeah. This is the... Uh, <laughs> This is our, our rock star at the start. Caligula's daddy, isn't it? Well, you you guys will appreciate my analogy of the Germanicus situation. I see Germanicus's death as being very much like Diana and Tiberius is Queen Elizabeth II. <laughs> nice. I like it. Yeah, that, that, that could definitely work. <laughs> terrible. I mean, I mean, let's think about the fallout for the royal family because they, they have a terrible time, they lose Diana, and then they deal so badly with it in the public eye that the royal family is hated for like the next like sort of 10 years. They've really only made a comeback publicly in the last sort of oh, five to 10. But there's a good stretch there where people are like, you know what, I'm done with the royal family. They don't know how to mourn Diana. She's the people's princess. Mm. And it's like, and the queen's just sort of standing there being like, well, this has been terrible, but not showing any feeling. And I feel like, you know, Tiberius does a bit of the same thing. He does, yeah. yeah. It's that perceived coldness, isn't it? The perceived distance. Yeah. yeah, and it's is it, and I feel like it's like Tiberius is like the classic introvert, and so he's like, well, I can't show people how I feel because that's never wo- really worked out for me, has it? And um, the last time I cried, I never got to see the first <laughs> wife again. Um, <laughs> and so he's like, no, no, put on the strong front, um, and this means that everyone's like, oh, maybe he did it. I, I honestly see this is very, very much like Queen Elizabeth II's initial moves in that. You know, at first they were thinking it was all going to be, you know, private grief. You know, keep, keep it keep it out of the public eye. It's not their business. It's a family affair. And look, I admit that's a really unrealistic position to take. Um, but the fact that Livia also takes a back seat at this point in time, and let's face it, for all the perceived drama within the Imperial family, Germanicus is still her grandchild. Mm-hmm. You know, like this is still her grandchild that's died. I don't believe that they hated each mm-hmm. other. I just don't. What do you guys, what is your take on the whole Germanicus situation? I really like um, your analogy to to the royal family, um, as in the British current one. <laughs> um, I think that works quite well, actually. Um, yeah, I mean, Germanicus being the rising rock star, I, I love the story of him and Drusus being sent north to deal with the rebellions. And uh, how mm. Tiberius's son, Drusus, uh, his, his actual son, um, he deals with it, yes. but not brilliantly, and he punches Sejanus at the same time. Um, <laughs> but who wouldn't want to punch Sejanus? I mean, oh, come yeah. on. <laughs> <laughs> but I, and you, you can tell he's Tiberius' son. It's like he goes yes. up, he deals with it, he does a good enough job, and he probably feels yeah. quite good about himself. And then he hears about Germanicus, who's gone off to deal with the other rebellion, and he didn't just deal with it. He grabbed everyone and said, come on, lads, let's go and earn our bonuses, and just went on raids, and everyone loved him. And you get the feeling, or at least you can understand if Tiberius was starting to get jealous um, of Germanicus. But I agree uh, that everything in Tiberius's life so far indicates that he wouldn't want Germanicus to just go away. Um, because like you say, he is a way out for him. Um, yeah. And as much as he doesn't particularly want to be the emperor and he's never really shown enthusiasm for uh, Augustus's vision, or at least it's hard to see any, uh, I don't think he'd like to see it all crumble around him. So... No. Yeah, I, I can um, fully get behind the idea that Piso murders Germanicus when Germanicus sent off to the east, but whether that's on the orders of the emperor, it's very hard to tell. 
It, yeah, I mean, it's obviously an impossible, like Germanicus's death is obviously one of the greatest mysteries, like we'll probably never know, obviously, for certain. I, I kind of do lean towards the idea that Piso is obviously very much in the Tiberius style of, you know, Roman. And I, I can't, and he and Germanicus and Agrippina the Elder and Piso's wife, Plankina, they obviously get off on completely the wrong foot from the word go. I, mm. I can believe that if anyone murdered Germanicus, Piso would have done it. But again, I just don't believe that Tiberius ordered it. Um, it, it, it just seems a bit too far-fetched to me. I, I think Germanicus either died of natural causes, as has often happened in the imperial family, that people <laughs> get suddenly ill, um, yeah. and Agrippina just can't, you know, given the unfortunate family dimension, <laughs> Agrippina just can't accept that um, because with Germanicus's death, there goes her ambitions. Um and, and, and all that Piso was involved, um, just on a personal level, because he and Germanicus seem to have had such a terrible relationship. Um, I, I kind of see Germanicus as being, again, a bit like Diana was to the royal family. He's a bit of a show pony. And whilst, hmm. whilst it's well established that Tacitus is critical of Tiberius, and he's probably really got it in for Tiberius because he had to live through Domitian's reign and Domitian idolised Tiberius and apparently like read through his memoirs and that kind of thing. Um, so I can understand why Tacitus has it particularly in for Tiberius. I have heard people theorize that whilst Tacitus gives Germanicus a lot of airtime and, and seems to be giving him a lot of praise, if you look at the kinds of actions that Germanicus is actually recorded as, you know, having carried out, they're not the kinds of things that Tacitus, who holds himself up as being like this traditional Republican style Roman, would actually admire. What he'd actually admire is someone like Tiberius. Ooh, that is a big call as a read on Tacitus. I'm throwing it out there because you think about the mutinies. Germanicus goes out there and is so theatrical and almost gets himself freaking killed. Oh, no. Pause, pause. I've been reading Tacitus. You know, I mean, I'm trying to prepare for this episode. I'm like, where is Tiberius in Tacitus' narrative? Not there. You have to jump ahead passages through brilliant military glories that Germanicus has attained in order to get back to a one paragraph. But where, in which he makes Tacitus, mistakes. He makes mistakes where repeatedly. Tacitus, careful. Yeah. Where Tacitus <laughs> says things like, well, Tiberius is stewing back in Rome and thinking about Germanicus undermining his reputation. Um, let's go back to the narrative at hand out in the forests of Germany. Uh, all right. Um, so you get this sense that... Tacitus's problem is the whole imperial project. I agree. Yeah, and, I agree. And the thing for the annals in particular is that he's made the decision that the imperial period starts with Tiberius. That's, yeah. that's when it begins. Yeah, because he carries on Augustus's legacy. Thank you very much. Game set, man. <laughs> <laughs> and Tiberius does a terrible job. <gasps> He's not that terrible. Oh, because compared to Caligula or Nero, Jesus. <laughs> but That's it, not but then, much. But, yeah, <laughs> wait for it. Um, so it's it's a terrible thing, and Tacitus wants to critique it. Tiberius is the spearhead of the ter- terribleness, and everything slides downhill from there. Yeah, I Tassos agree. wants to get you to the point where you're like, oh, yeah, this was terrible. The Republic is the way to go. Yeah, no, I agree. There's a rhetorical treatment going on here. And I'm, I'm not saying he doesn't praise Germanicus. Of course he does, because Germanicus is safe to praise because he never becomes princeps, and so Tiberius can use him as a rhetorical <laughs> foil to Tiberius. But at the same time, when I, when I get my students to analyse what Germanicus actually does, in, as recorded by Tacitus, they think he is the biggest jerk off that ever walked the planet <laughs> because, he, <laughs> because he's so theatrical and over the top. I don't know. What guys, you probably have to come in and, and pull us apart. What, what do you think? <laughs> um, I, I don't know. Uh, Germanicus knows how to please a crowd. He's he's that kind of uh, the kid at school that everyone thinks is really cool. But as you get older, you go, he was an absolute ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's what I mean. Like, he, yeah, sure, he does put down the rebellion in the end. Um, I mean, the mutiny. But he has to go to such incredible lengths to do it. And it could have blown up in his face so many times in a way that would have been incredibly dangerous for not just himself and his family, but for the empire. Because this is the whole reason why the mutinies are a big deal. 
I think we have to think about the fact that it didn't blow up in his face. Yeah. And the, yeah. reason right, why, exactly. the reason why we don't have Germanicus is because he unfortunately died while in the East. Yeah, but that's not Tiberius' fault. Well. Yeah, I'm but, you know, I mean, you can critique his military practice, but he was successful. Yeah, I, you can critique Caesar's military tactics. I mean, he was very risky, but yeah. uh, it, it paid off. Um, True. And yeah. I just think that that kind of behaviour is not the kind of thing that's going to endear Germanicus oh. to Tiberius. He doesn't He doesn't like it. He's yeah, a show pony. Tiberius can't handle people who are charismatic. Oh. Yeah, yeah no, that, that's, that's how I see it. It's, um, it's a bit of jealousy. I just get the feeling Tiberius always feels like he's not understood. Um, yes. If, if people got to know him a bit better, they'd realise he's just as good as Germanicus. Germanicus, or... <laughs> As Augustus and I feel, I feel like this is the problem because I think this comes down to really mother issues as well. I, <laughs> oh wow! I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Another Dr. Freud. <laughs> I'm here with all of the news yeah. on Olivia um, because it seems like they don't really get along much either. She looks at her son and she's like, well, "He's not. He's not all that." Um, yeah, they completely fall out at this point, don't they? they? Do yeah, it goes pretty badly. I kind of feel like that has something to do with the fact that, again, Tiberius is fairly traditional and Livia is looking to him to promote her in a way that would be unseemly (laughs) by traditional standards. I can just see her having a conversation with him at some point being like, I just can't believe you came out from between my legs. (laughs) At which point Tiberius said, I'm never talking to you again. I'm going to an <laughs> island. Thinking about the death of Germanicus, um, I think this kind of brings me to a point which I'm willing to see. Tiberius was terrible when it came to PR. Mm. Yeah. He, 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 did, he did use coins um, to promote certain virtues, but they weren't flashy ones. They generally focused on, you know, like promoting his connection with Augustus. He, he definitely tried to follow Augustus's line in a lot of policies. Um, and, and with building programs, he, he tried to you know, sort of finish what Augustus had left unfinished, but didn't really undertake anything grand on his own. Um, and, and because he didn't have the charisma and he didn't spend heaps of money on games and that kind of stuff, PR-wise, I agree, his reign was a car crash. <laughs> I love the way that I don't have to do anything to critique Tiberius at this point. You're doing all the hard work for me. <laughs> <laughs> This is why people don't like him. This is why people don't like him. I get that. He's not showy and it and it's a problem. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's not just that he's not showy. Even if you give him the benefit of the doubt at this point and you remove all the the sensationalist stories, what are you left with? You're you're left with a man who clearly doesn't want to do the job and just as he's done before, when things get really tough, he runs away to an island. Uh, yes, I have. I have theories about this. <laughs> so, so we know that after about you know twelve, twelve or so years as uh, as princeps, Tiberius does leave for Capri and never returns to Rome. Although he does get very close a couple of times, even when his mother dies. Yeah, well, we've already established they had a falling out. Thank you very much. <laughs> Just saying. Um, Look, I, I kind of see this as being partly because he was running away from the family situation because things with Agrippina were getting out of control. Um, and she was, I mean, she was seemingly getting quite serious about her political opposition to Tiberius. And I agree, it's not great to turn, turn around and run, but he does. And then Sejanus, the whole yes. Sejanus affair. I'm curious to hear what you guys think about this. Oh, well, well, you loved the story of Sejanus, didn't you, Jeremy? I think so, yeah. <laughs> yes, you're desperate. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, yeah, so we, um, once Tiberius uh, runs away um, or, or decides to go on holiday, um, you're left with with Sejanus. The there we go, it's coming back yes. to you. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> you're left with uh, the head of the Praetorian Guard, who are now in the city as well, thanks to uh, Tiberius. Uh, yeah, so you've got the head of the Praetorian Guard, Sejanus, who just steps into the power vacuum very easily. Yeah. Uh, yeah, or, almost overnight, to the horror of many people. <laughs> uh, and he, he does it very cleverly, because, um, well, to begin with, all that Tiberius knows is that his son suddenly dies. Um, and that that's Drusus gone. So that that's 
the air and the spare now gone. Yeah. Um, Classic Julia Claudian style. <laughs> yeah. And um Wait, maybe if I hadn't been on an island, I could have been there. <laughs> Excuse me, he was there. Drusus dies in twenty three. <laughs> All right. He wasn't right. on Capri. I'll let you have that. <laughs> <laughs> it, it then slowly comes out that actually his son has quite possibly been murdered by his wife's lover, who happens to be Sejanus, who's now running the city. And um, yeah. doing things like putting statues up of himself. Yeah. And uh, then asking Tiberius whether he can uh, marry Lavilia to try and get into the family and claim some yeah. legitimacy. Uh, it, things, uh, and maybe it's just the distance that gives it the sense, but things seem to quite rapidly start to fall apart. Yeah, oh, definitely. I mean, from what we can tell, because unfortunately we're missing Tacitus for this brief, basically for Agrippina's downfall and Sejanus's downfall, we're missing um, bits and pieces of Tacitus, which is a shame. But from what we can tell, Sejanus is summoned to the Senate and he's summoned in a way that makes it seem like Tiberius is about to give him what he's really been angling for and which would be a sure sign that he's, you know, seriously be considered as part of the succession or something, tribunician power because this is always seen as being quite key, you know, to the, the role of emperor. Uh, and it's something that Tiberius himself holds. So he goes there all like, la-di-da, and feeling really good with himself. <laughs> uh, and then he comes in and there's a letter read out denouncing him. He is arrested and executed all within the space of 24 hours. <laughs> so it's a very rapid downfall. And this, okay, whilst this is not an ideal situation, <laughs> you have to admit that Tiberius handles it pretty swiftly and pretty well. Oh, yeah. I mean. It needed to be managed. We, yeah, we, well, he did manage it. No, it, <laughs> please, you go. Sorry, quite swiftly. Sorry. I've got some things to say, but please, please, you go. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we've covered the stories of over 100 emperors now. And this story stands out as one of my favourites. Uh, yeah. Because you just don't expect it. You, you've slowly seen Tiberius uh, withdraw and um, he doesn't seem to have a handle on things anymore. And then in one move, uh, he just wipes out the threat um, completely. Uh, it really shows you yeah. how much power Augustus managed to to create for this new yeah. position that Tiberius, even though he's he's weakened, um, he's still able to just turn things around overnight if he puts his mind to it. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, it's it's obviously not an ideal situation that Sejanus has managed to accrue so much power, but Tiberius needed someone to help him. And unfortunately, for a while after the death of Drusus, I, I think Sejanus was kind of the best option that he had. And Sejanus seemed like someone who was truly loyal and being a Praetorian prefect, he shouldn't have really had ambitions beyond his station. I mean, as it turned out, he did. That's very unfortunate. Um, <laughs> and and this, is a, this is the ultimate betrayal. You know, not only does Tiberius find out that this guy who he's been depending on um, so heavily throughout, you know, as his reign drags on, has betrayed him, but he also discovers at around this time that he may have been responsible for the death of Drusus, um, the villa, the ex-wife of Drusus is executed um you know it's it's a whole mess and this this unleashes the really unfortunate part of Tiberius's reign for which I think his memory amongst the senators is forever damned and that's the treason trials Mm -hmm. um that follow the death of Sejanus which are unfortunate but not entirely they're not they're not like all at Tiberius's instigation you they, they are partly also the senate themselves um, probably trying to sort of prove their loyalty by, yeah. you know, accusing each other of things. All right, I'm going to stop you there because I need <laughs> to jump in because you're trying to smooth over a lot of thoughts. I was doing and, such a good job. And, and I let you talk, <laughs> but let's just hold up a minute. Sejanus turns out to be a problem because he's not stopped when he could have been stopped. So Tiberius has resisted using the full extent of the imperial powers that he's been vested with. And because he hasn't gone down that path and because everybody around him has been trained for the last 30, 40 years to expect those powers to be deployed in particular ways and he doesn't do it, it creates a gap for Sejanus to to operate within. And people think he's a toothless tiger. He's created this problem for himself. So to get to a point where he has to do the swift turnaround and actually has a moment of realization where he's like, oh, wait a minute, I have this imperial power, maybe I need to start using it, 
it's a little bit too late. He's lost a lot by the time it gets to that point. And he does turn out to be nasty and capable of that level of nastiness, which turns out is necessary now because he's let it play out for so long by pretending that he's not nasty what he did to Janice. Janice deserved it. No, I'm talking about the treason trials. Oh, right. Um, (laughs) But the whole thing could have been really massaged in a very different way if he just tried a little bit harder to be emperor rather than trying to build a different kind of politics from Augustus. And I think that's part of the issue here, and it, it gets him into trouble. Can you blame Tiberius for not following Augustus? I mean, there's no precedent here. I think this is part of the issue, yeah. You're absolutely right. There is no precedent. And Tiberius can't. Uh, Tiberius trying to rule like Augustus is impossible because he does not have Augustus's personality. Yeah, no, I think that comes across. <laughs> I think if he, if he could have ruled like Augustus, he would have done. Um, because that worked. Yeah, and I mean, this is the thing. As the treason trials are terrible, obviously, and they leave a stain. And this is why, this is part of the reason why people like Tacitus hate Tiberius so freaking much. Um, and I get it because it was out of control. And I, I, I can see if Tiberius had been in Rome, he might have been able to keep a bit of a lid yeah. on things, which he didn't. How, however, he's not, he's not like just sitting there doing nothing. He is still ruling from wherever he happens to be. Yeah, and he's it, pretty busy with the children. Oh, don't start. <laughs> Everybody's invited to his little no, island. No, no, no. He handles a situation he's, in Parthia. He's ruling with, all right, but like, no, oh. no. The last couple of years of his reign, he very skillfully handles a situation in Armenia and Parthia, so much so that Caligula generally gets the credit for it because he skates in there at the end and manages to you know go like, oh, look what I did. Um, <laughs> but Tiberius is the one who, ma- who manages a very difficult situation and in spite of the turmoil in the senate the empire under his reign which is quite lengthy is peaceful and there are no serious threats to stability he also is quite interested in the 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 welfare of the provinces you know that he is so (laughs) (laughs) you're looking at me like i'm with you i'm not going to agree with you he keeps working the veterans and brings them back and doesn't want to pay them you know like there's a whole bunch of revolts that happen and he keeps on extending out the time period for which they have to work. They ask for some cuts and a pay rise. And he's like, well, you're just going to have to keep working. Uh, oh, that's like, did exactly the same. These soldiers <laughs> are so old. They're geriatrics. And it's like people are at the borderlands looking in on the Roman territory being like, I don't want to knock down that guy. He's going to die soon. Uh, you know, they politely step back and just wait for some fresh soldiers. He handles die. business. Okay. <laughs> What do you guys think about Tiberius's record as like a ruler of the whole empire, not just the Senate? It's it is a tricky one to judge. I would argue because a lot of the sources focus so much on his personal experiences. Uh, yeah, and you don't get much of a sense how much he cared. You can see that he does some things, um, and you can debate on how successful uh, that is, but. Um, whether he cared for the empire or not is a tricky one to to call. Well, see, I kind of feel like he does. I mean, not like he's not a man of the people. I would never say that. Yeah. But then I don't think most men in his situation were. I, I wouldn't say Augustus was like a man of the people. Not really. Um, but he, I think Tiberius has, has been proven during his reign to be quite generous. Like he, he is interested in um, like in 17 C when there's an earthquake, um, he helps to, um, to fix the cities that are ruined in Asia out of his own personal property. Mm. That's one example. <laughs> and, and Suetonius, thank you very much. And Suetonius stresses <laughs> that that's like the only example of generosity. It is not the only example of generosity. <laughs> he also tries to alleviate the financial crisis that happens in the 30s when he's supposedly so terrible. And when senators fell on hard times and they could, like, you know, you know, there's that property qualification to be a senator. If he thought they were men of merit and they hadn't lost their money just by, you know, spending it on women and gambling he personally helped people out so that he could make sure that men of merit were in positions of power like in the senate sounds like corruption to me <laughs> stacking it with your own oh bull kind of as if augustus too. didn't stack the senate he did so many purges of the senate make your head spin <laughs> i'm not denying that but i'm just saying if somebody can't afford to be a senator and you as the emperor decide to pay their way in because they were i think i think you buy their vote do you not no you buy you you buy the fact that you're having worthy people and they're not just yes men like augustus like wow i can't believe you (laughs) bought the propaganda (laughs) 
And you do get a sense with some of these these stories of uh, helping out with the financial crisis uh, that they are outliners, or at least how that's how they've been portrayed. Um, I, I think <gasps> betrayed, Rob. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> I, I'm off the top of my head, but I seem to remember Suetonius mentioning that um, he only did this because the public outrage was so bad at the time. Um, Things could have got quite bad for him, so he was forced into a corner. Um, But again, we just have very little detail on it. It's it's hard to judge. Um, I will say, though, just thinking about Tiberius's reign compared to Augustus's, uh, whenever I think of Augustus's reign, I almost get a, the image of the whole empire on a map, and I'm thinking of the whole thing. Uh, with Tiberius, I just, I think of Rome, and I think of Capri, and maybe occasionally Rhodes. Uh, it, the stories that have come down to us are, are much more condensed, um, which isn't Tiberius's fault in any way, but it does make comparing the two uh, slightly interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think that Tiberius himself actually was quite focused on Rome and Italy. I don't think that's an unfair call. Um, but I also think for the sake of Rome and Italy and, and the empire, I think he, he did really try to stamp out provincial corruption. Um, and, he, you know, obviously the success of that is, um, I mean, it's a bit hard to say. Like sometimes he succeeded, in other, time, in other cases he didn't. Um, and his choices of governors were disastrous. But, I mean, obviously anybody can put their faith in the wrong man. I'm thinking mostly of people like Pontius Pilate here because, of course, it's under Tiberius that Jesus Christ gets crucified. Hmm. Not that that was actually a big Awkward. deal at the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, it wasn't. that wasn't a big deal at the time. But obviously yeah, that, Nothing's going to come from that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Just a small blip. Just a blip. Um, but, yeah, Pilate's, re- Pilate's relationship with the Jews is not, <laughs> is not great. All right. Well, um, I suppose this might be a good time to uh, to do our judgment on Tiberius. Yes. Um, can you take the lead here, guys? Because I believe you have some categories for us. Yes. Uh, yes, we do. Um, I won't spoil it by saying what we scored him. Yeah, we, we'll let you know that at the, at the end. Uh, but the first round that you need to make your judgments on is uh, Phytius Maximus. So just to remind you, that is how fighty an emperor was he. <laughs> But also as a person, he doesn't need to, um, this doesn't need to be during his emperorship. So throughout his whole life, um, what was his fighting like? And it, this is mostly militarily, but you can include some political fighting in if you want. So score out of 10. I have to say, I think he's a pretty good fighter. Yeah, he, I, I think he's actually a really good general. He, he's. I mean, we didn't really mention them much, and this is the thing, Tiberius's life before he becomes emperor is, you know, he has so many, he's, he's away at war a lot. Mm. You know, he's away at war in Germania, he pacifies Armenia, you know, he, he's held emperor, emperator a number of times by his troops. I think he's actually really quite liked by the troops on the whole, even though they ha- even though they were the mutinies. That was a problem that was the legacy of Augustus's reign. Yeah, and he does demonstrate at times a certain sensitivity for military slash political issues, yeah. as long as those political issues also connected with the military. So he defers a triumph in the wake of uh, Varus, yeah. um, for instance, where he's legitimately able to have one and he's like, no, no, this is not the time. Uh, let's do this a bit later on. So he seems to actually be a sensitive military person and quite successful. Um, as noted in uh, our previous discussions, uh, he helped Augustus a lot uh, with his expansion of territory. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so I, I actually I think I would give him an I think I give him an, a nine. Wow. Yeah, because I'm biased. <laughs> wow. um, what about you, Doctor G? Yeah, look, uh, I don't want to give him that many points because I don't really like the guy, but I suppose it, an eight. Okay, so that's a seventeen from us. What about you guys? Wow. 17, that's not too far where we put him. We put him on uh, 15. Um, so mm. we, we put him above Augustus, which I thought at the time might surprise people, but um, I'm I'm happy with that score now. Uh, Augustus... Yeah, oh, well, he, he definitely had far more campaigns. Yeah, Augustus technically, if you like colour in the map of territory gained, um, you can make an argument there. But Tiberius is actually on the ground doing the fighting. Uh, which Exactly. Augustus doesn't do very often um, so yeah. <laughs> um, 
Okay, right, next round, Approbium Crasium. This is his round. <laughs> well, it's debatable, isn't it, this one? Um, <laughs> how crazy was he? How much Approbium did he cause? Ooh, I mean, he, he's pretty bad. I mean, he has a turn. He never really recovers. I mean, if we're talking about the island. island which we're not. <laughs> island, island life is different from the city, isn't it? I, look, I really do legitimately do not believe those stories. I, I just don't. I think it's convenient to not believe primary source material. Uh, <laughs> you don't believe it when it comes to Augustus and the House of Virgins. <laughs> I, I think that the worst stories, I mean, I'm not saying that he didn't ever take advantage of the fact that he's a man in the Roman world and have sex with people. Yeah, that, I mean, you know what they say, where there's smoke, there's fire, you know. That I, I just thing. don't believe he waited until that late in his life to suddenly go from being this super straight down the line, traditional, some would even say boring person, to become a pedophile. It just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I'm happy for his uh, degeneracy to co- go across the whole course of his life. And for the island not. to just be the pinnacle of uh... There are no stories like that. <laughs> None from earlier. It is total gossip. <sighs> All right. I, I think the trees and trials are really the, the worst. I think the downfall of Agrippina and her family, mm-hmm. Tejanus, the trees and trials, that last little bit of his reign is unfortunately Mars, the rest of his the rest of his track record, which on the whole actually was quite stable and peaceful ex- outside of senatorial circles. So I would have to give him, I think, about a six. Yeah, look, Augustus groans when he comes in the room. His family <laughs> doesn't really talk to him and he doesn't even turn up to his mother's funeral. So, I mean, terms are crazy. I mean, it's got to be at least an eight. Ah. Okay, that Fine, it's a 14 from us. Yeah. 14, that is dead on what yeah. we gave him as well. We gave him 14. Um, it is a hard one to judge, isn't it? Because there's so many it stories. Is, yeah. um, if you believed all of them, it would be a 10, surely. But it, it just doesn't ring true, a lot of it. But then he does do some things that are quite dodgy. Um, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, and those open the door. <laughs> Okay, Successus Ultimus, how successful was he for the Empire? I actually think for the Empire, and Dr. T is giving me the eye here, but <laughs> I think for the Empire he was actually fairly successful because, as I said before, he follows Augustus's policy. After the virus disaster, Augustus says, don't extend the borders. He doesn't do that because he's respectful and dutiful and pious, and he, you know, he obviously, I think as a general as well, he kind of knew that that was as much as they could handle at that point in time. He puts down the Tuckfarinus issue that springs up in Africa sort of midway through his reign. He handles the the situation in Parthia and Armenia towards the later part of his reign pretty well. And as I say, he really does try hard to stamp out provincial corruption, which has been an ongoing issue for a number of, t- of years, I mean, well before even Augustus. And so mm. I, I rate him fairly highly on this. He's I, pretty bad at managing the Senate. Mm. Um, that doesn't go so well. Um, in the beginning, he's like, guys, let's work together. And everyone's like, uh, no, that's your job and then, and then <laughs> yeah and then later on he's like guys nobody's working with me time for some death um you know i mean they're the that of, is not what he says <laughs> it's like you know that's kind of too extreme um so i mean that's not much of a success um arguably somebody who runs away to an island uh, to not come back is not very successful he still rules from afar <laughs> That's like saying that I'm in charge of things when I stay in my bedroom. Look, I apparently, mean, I? apparently the reason why he didn't want to come back was that he may have been given an astrological prediction about himself, like, dying in Rome. Oh, yes. I like this one. Oh. Yeah. And that's why he doesn't come. He actually comes very, very close, but then he can't. Then there's, like, a, a, like a portent and he gets spooked because he actually has a lot of faith in astrology, which might sound crazy to a modern audience, but it kind of is in line with his whole stoic yeah it's a bit awkward because he does kill the astrologer on road um so there is that i mean the guy sees a ship and he's like i predict i'm cutting you up i give him a seven i give him a seven (laughs) it isn't isn't that story of him seeing a snake being eaten alive by ants and he decides that maybe he shouldn't yeah his pet snake yeah. His yeah. <laughs> yeah. That might happen to It's me like Voldemort, except he's not as evil as Voldemort. <laughs> well, there's also yeah. the omen of his birth where a chicken hatches with a crest and everyone's like, oh, that's a nice crown. Olivia's like, I think I've given birth to an excellent son. And she was right. So he was right to listen to the prophecy again. <laughs> but then he does ban astrologers. I'm going to go with a five. I mean, can you, um, you criticise him for um, the 
rise and power the Praetorian Guard. That I think you can becomes quite a problem uh, in later life. I think you can also trace it back to Augustus, who started the whole goddamn thing. <laughs> yeah, but they didn't get out of the <laughs> under Augustus. They knew where they stood, didn't they? They knew they did what they were told, and they were told Augustus what to had do. Tiberius. It seems Tiberius like Tiberius is someone. kind of like I trust you to make the decision. And everyone's like, oh, 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 oh I, I try to take over. You know what? They sh- the Senate should be eating this up because they're all like, I mean, when Caligula gets assassinated, they actually have a meeting where they're like, let's bring back the Republic, guys. If they're so freaking keen to do that in- after Caligula's death, why couldn't they be a little keener when Tiberius was alive? This is the kind of stuff they should be eating up with a spoon. <laughs> why well, I can't help you there. They're not, and they're not very good at they're it. they're idiots. <laughs> and the Praetorian Guard gets a little bit out of control. Yeah, well, I still give him a seven, and Dr. G gives him a five, so that's a 12. For wow. Us. So that's a, a 12 in total. Oh, you guys are far more generous than we are in this round. We gave we gave him a four in total. <laughs> Whoa! Yeah, well, we Jesus. very much saw this as just um, the structure that Augustus put in place was strong enough to stay in, to just tick along while someone didn't really do much. Uh, and I don't know, maybe we are being slightly <laughs> unfair there. Um, I, I think if we went back... Oh, no, I'm with uh, you. I think if we went back, he'd probably score a wow. bit more than that four uh, now, but not... I thought we were friends, guys. <laughs> I thought we were friends. <laughs> this is partly why I went so hard against Augustus last time, because I didn't want to be <laughs> too, too unfair, because I, I knew Tiberius was going to suffer. Um, I'm going to note to note that to myself though, because I, clearly I need to like lower my expectations and just go really hard with my score. <laughs> yeah. I'm being way too generous. <laughs> right. Um, the last round that you guys need to judge is uh, um, oh, the name's completely Image of faces. Image of faces. How faces. sexy did he look? <laughs> yes. So how how does he look? Um, you score this out of ten each, but then we divide it by four. Um, and since we're only really doing Augustus and Tiberius, you're just judging him against Augustus, really, in the looks department. Oh, well, that's Ooh. easy. I'd give, give him a solid zero. Ooh. Oh, are you kidding me? Augustus with his freaking pimply skin and whatever. I Tiberius think is not I go with I go with Julia's opinion, and I give him a ten. <laughs> <laughs> that's young Tiberius. You got to think about it. He's on the when he dies. He's quite Augustus old. also lives to be quite old. Thank you very much. Okay. All yeah. right. So, is that a ten and a zero? That's a ten and a zero. So that's a ten in total. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, right. I will just quickly add up his score then, and we will finally see uh, if he beats Augustus, and then that's it. There can be no more. <laughs> I'm not, I'm, I must admit, I'm not holding my breath. I knew this would be rough. <laughs> I'm giving him two point eight eight for his tempo completo score because that's how long he ruled compared to Augustus, and his final score, yep. oh, that's a lot closer than uh, it was when we judged them. Okay, to remind you, Augustus scored 51, dead on. Tiberius scores 48.38. Nice, nice. Well done. Well done, guys. That means, that means <laughs> so, he's um, a loser. Yeah. I, I think that has settled it. No one needs to discuss this ever again. Uh, Augustus is better than Tiberius. Oh, the book has been closed. <laughs> All right, well, if you'll excuse us, gentlemen, I have to go and bludgeon Dr. G to death. <laughs> no, no, the violence. The sanitarial conspiracy. Now, thank you very much for once again collaborating with us. It's always fun to talk to you guys about Roman no, it, it has been fantastic talking to some people who really know what they're talking about <laughs> rather than just me and Jamie having a chat. I don't, I don't know that we do. I think we're heavily biased. <laughs> so that's goodbye from us. Um, goodbye from us. Goodbye. Goodbye.